Next Chapter Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Midnight Public Radio. Every week on our show, we pick a theme and dissect it like so many frogs. Of course, our frog-themed episode was one of our most controversial. We have not been able to get permission to re-air it. But this week on Midnight Public Radio, we'll be exploring the culinary arts, food, preparing it, preparing ourselves for it. But before we get started, we wanted to have this sponsored by some of the luminaries of the culinary world. However, after a series of rejections from said luminaries, we have, like most of the American economy, we have been forced to rely on massive corporate donations to keep going. This is a message um, it's a message from the Doritos Corporation, our sponsor this week. Do you love the extreme flavors of Doritos chips? But are you bored of having too little variety? America's reached out and said one thing to the Doritos Corporation over and over and over again throughout the years, and that is, we're horny as hell, and we want chips that taste like it. So if you're tired of those boring old flavors, then you need something to make your mouth go, you need Doritos' newest line of chips, XXXtreme, for the horniest among us who want to taste it. With delicious and sexualized flavors like extramarital ranch, hot squirt, crunchalingus, the smell after group sex, mysterious discharge, ball gag, kinky habanero scrotum, baja blasted, and of course, our classic flavor that started it all, ass. So, why don't you bust that mouth wide open for a real snack? Doritos XXX The chips that make you strip. Hi, I'm Ari Wood. This is Midnight Public Radio. This week we're discussing arts culinary, the arts that keep us fed. For hundreds of years, there have been those who have kept the recipes and secrets of our culinary system alive. Before cookbooks, before books, before cooks, there were these monks scattered across the known world, preserving their secrets. And while some monks may make beer or liquor, this particular group of monks makes a quite special concoction. There's one particular monastery that has carried a particular secret and a particular recipe it's a little different. Because this is such a special story, I decided to handle it myself. I would be visiting the monks of Grappa Casino. Before I went, I talked to an academic expert, Dr. Paul Familytree. As a pasta-pasta studier, I have not only been researching the history of food through religious figures and how the food travels, of course, from mouth to anus, but also how the food travels from dirt to our religious enlightened. They call me the Parmesan of God because I've been following the Italian food culture of our world's most honored papal, the Pope himself. Now, the Grava Casino Monastery is a place where no wine is made, not a word is spoken. This is merely a monastery where the men have devoted their life wholly and completely to the creation of gravy. Gravy? Can, can you explain to the listeners what makes this gravy so special? Well, what makes it special is certainly the 
practice of these monks, what they're chasing is the perfect gravy, the, the molding and the meshing of the body and the blood of Christ. Thick with meat, but if you're nasty, you could drink it. Beautiful to hear you quote scripture. Sick, thick, ready to save. Could this gravy live up to expectations? I was challenged by the fact that the monks work in silence. Here is an excerpt from the only known interview with one of the monks from 1937. Hey, how do you make that gravy? Shh! However, thanks to some carefully placed bribes, I found some former brothers of the monastery who have defected to Islam and were willing to speak openly. Can you tell us your name, please? My name is Brother Ignacio Fortuna. And I, for many years, was working in the Graba Casino Monastery where we make the gravy and we never speak and we worship the God and we make the gravy. And, uh, you know, for me, it's in this small village I grew up in. There was only two paths, donkey boy or the church. So my father, he was a donkey man and he used to beat me. And so always I have had a bad connotation with the donkey. So I go to the church. Mm, my father owned a large chain of drugstores, so I can understand exactly what you mean. So can we talk about the gravy? I know that there are traditions the monks have preserved. What do they do that's different than a normal gravatorium? Well, for the most Italian people, the gravy means the marinara, but uh, for us at the Graba Casino Monastery, we are estudantes of the Colonel's Fried Chicken, or the KFC in America. We study the crispiness of the chickens and the flavors of the sides, and we decided to truly see God, you must indulge in high fructose corn syrup and also extreme caloric density. And the most calorically dense thing on the KFC menu is the gravy. And this goes back to the 1200s? Oh, yes. Most people think that the colonel was a veteran of the Civil War. Maybe, but he, in fact, was the, a colonel in the Crusades. Is this at all connected to the Knights Templar? No, those guys mostly make coleslaw. What about the Knights Tempura? Uh, that's a type of battering frying that uh, is outside the scope of our religious teachings. Wow, well, this has been fascinating. It, is there anything else that you can tell us about the gravy itself? If it's connected to KFC, is that the same gravy that I could get here at my local slop house? Uh, no, this particular gravy is only consumed by the most high and the most pure. It is strictly gravy that is sent to the Vatican. We spoke to someone who needed to remain anonymous to protect their position, but who works intimately in the supply chain that connects the Vatican with the monastery. Yes, uh, here at the Parma Casino, I am the one who uh, takes the gravy of the gods from the monastery and I bring it to the Pope and I make sure it is uh, uh, not poisoned. It has never been poisoned. Popes tend to die of old age, but you never know. Uh, and I have to make sure that we never know. Now, the thing about the gravy is the richness. It's not for normal tongues. My tongue, for example, was passed down uh, from my father and his father and his father, who were all uh, papal tongues, as we're known here in the Vatican. 
Not a, not a drop of gravy that touches the Pope's lips haven't touched mine first. Once you know where to look, you can see the influence of gravy throughout history. In fact, the very term gravy train comes from the treasure-laden trips that would come from the Holy Land, stopping to pick up gravy on their way back to Rome. A delicious golden culinary feast. In a stunning moment for us here, we were working on this story for several weeks. We felt that we'd maybe hit a dead end. And suddenly we got an email, came from Pontifex at earthlink.net. We couldn't believe it was real, but after verifying it, we were finally ushered into St. Peter's in the Vatican for an audience with His Holiness the Pope. Thank you so much for having us, Your Holiness. Ah, Mamma Mia, thanks for coming. It's me, the Pope. Now, this gravy, you must have known that we're working on this story. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. What, what can you tell us? Well, what do you want to know? It's a good gravy. Ah, it's what I eat. I love my gravy. I get it from the casino. You know, me and the Pope, I only eat uh, three things. One, cookies. Two, tree bark. And three, a gravy. Wow, that's fascinating. Is that an ancient Catholic teaching or... I uh, have a dietary restrictions. Uh, God uh, blessed me with a gastrointestinal uh, disease and... Uh, the gravy helps uh, take it all down. You know, the tree bark and the uh, cookies. I, I hesitate to ask, do you do you mix these things? Or they, do you eat them individually? Or is it a slurry of cookies, tree bark, and gravy? Oh, mama mia, it depends on the day. Sometimes it is just the cookies and the gravy. Sometimes it is just the tree bark and the gravy. And if I'm going to get a little crazy, I might put all three in a blender. And mama mia, mwah, what a meal. Wow. I can only imagine what it's like to gaze upon the splendor of the papal blender. Now, the last thing I've got to say is, what's with all the sex stuff? I thought uh, he wasn't going to be asking about this. Huh? Who, who let this man in here to ask about all the sex stuff? I was dropped through the floor into some sort of gravy slide that, after several hours, dumped me out in the canals of Venice. I was able to make my way back with my recording equipment. We may never know what's in the gravy, but we do know that the Pope likes it. And all I can say is that ever since that meeting, I've been eating tree bark, and my bowel movements have been robust. I'm Ari Wood. This is Midnight Public Radio. We'll be back with more stories about food and the art of making it into edible stuff. Welcome back to Midnight Public Radio. I'm Ari Wood. This week, we're talking about the most delicious art of all, the culinary ones. I'm here with our producer, who's going to handle the next segment. I uh, just wanted to talk through a little bit about what he experienced in really seeking out um, one of the rarest dining experiences you can have. Uh, so he's here with me now. His name is Plod Gruntington. Plod? Yes, hello. I, uh, I've always been very excited about checking this restaurant out because it's been on the lips and the nostrils of the gourmands around the world for quite some time and so uh you know it's quite almost nearly impossible to get a reservation there and um this segment's been actually almost a decade and a half in the making tell me a little bit about this place where is it located in the world well as opposed to your fifth avenues or your hollywood boulevards this particular oasis of tastis is located on the high appalachian ridge 
That's right, it is a highly remote and secluded shack, seemingly the only structure for miles next to a perpetually frozen lake. I'm pretty skeptical that you're going to find a Michelin-class star meal in a shack, but seems like you did. Well, don't get confused by appearances, Ari, because once you enter, it's all about the experience and the atmosphere. And I encountered that first when I spoke to one of the waitstaff. What's up, guys? I'm Dante. I'm your uh, server in this evening. Uh, You can tell by the way I'm spinning my tray that I uh, used to work on cruise ships. Now, what can I get for y'all to drink? I know you just got here, probably haven't looked at the menu, but I have other tables waiting. So if you could just give me your drink order now. It was almost like his disdain for me as a human being was quite charming and endearing in a way I'd never anticipated. I mean, when he listed off the specials, I was kind of shocked at what they had to offer. Uh, specials today, it's going to look like a steak, but it's just a cake. Um, and that's served on a, a bed of um, cake. And the plate itself uh, is a cake. And we're going to give you also a, a special fork and knife to eat the cake with. And those are also going to be cake. Um, and then we're going to move you to another table. Um, but that table's not going to be cake. It's going to be Rice Krispie Treats covered in fondant. Uh, and that's only three years of college worth money. So, I mean, I'm intrigued, sure. But this sounds like it's a lot about the gimmick. And is it really going to have the taste? Was it really worth it? I mean, well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because after the first course, the chef came out to the table, and I will say he was a character. I, I mean, the food, as much as, as his personality, really tied it together to the fact that you were really just eating a pile of slop on, like, a hand-cut wooden table that was supported by milk crates. When he brought that pile of slop to me, and he was leaning over me about four inches from my face and said these words, I'll never forget it the rest of my life. Listen, when they told me that I was going to be working here, baking cakes that look like steaks, I didn't know what the fuck to do with myself. And I know it doesn't sound too appealing to eat a cake that tastes like a steak, but hey, I got a job to do. So I'm whispering in your ear because I want to say this out loud in front of all these people. But Uh this cake is going to taste like shit because it's impossible to make a cake taste like a steak. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. So uh, if you have any uh, complaints, keep them to your fucking self. So this chef seems to be some kind of ASM Arsenio Hall hosting the meal and leading you through piece by piece. But did that really add to the experience? Well, then he started to force the cake down my throat. It's good, isn't it? You like when I hold your chin and move your lips up and down to chew it? Now tilt your head back and swallow it and keep your fucking opinions yourself. Hey guys, just checking up on you. How is everything here? Eat it. Eat it. Okay, I see you got your mouth full. I'll come back in a minute. I was so initially confused that I couldn't quite get a grasp on everything. And boy, was I surprised when the entire staff came out and sang not Happy Birthday, not God Bless America, but an original song of their own creation. Well. <laughs> 
if you liked your steak cake, we, we hope it tastes real we good. We hope you had a steak cake it and it wasn't wood of wood. Here's your bill. Pay your bill. We've already added gratuity. And the righteous shall be punished with a fiery swat of the god hand. I, of course, didn't have enough money to pay for the bill and I had to run, but um, overall, 10 out of 10 would go back. All right, well, that just leaves me with one last question before we end this report. What is the name of this restaurant? The Cafe Chick-fil-A. Did, did you just get blackout drunk and go to a Chick-fil-A? Well, I... All right, thank you all once again for sitting down here for the annual US FDA confirm or denial board panel meeting for what will be approved and disapproved in 2021. I really appreciate all of you guys taking the time out of your days. I know how busy you are. So a quick round of introductions and then we'll just dive in. Yeah, this is Herman Goring from the Chicago office. Excellent, and how, how are things going out in Chicago? Oh, beefy as ever. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Hey, this is Stella, Stella Cromwell from the Seattle area covering the, the West Coast. Hey. All right, and uh, Seattle still still putting out those numbers, I assume. So many numbers. Um, you mm. know, we the, the office almost can't take them all. The printers have been just crazy, just printing numbers. Mm. That's good. So. That's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's been it's been a good it's been a good week for numbers. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. This is Alex Phelps, uh, representing Mexico and the southwestern region. Things are going well here as well. And uh, how are those national reserves of uh, Chile stacking up? Are we hitting the appropriate levels the same as last year? Well, we have now uh, divided our resources into Chile uh, with beans and Chile without, because we know how much that matters to people uh, is having those options. Great. And hi, uh, my name is Clathy DeMarco. I'm from West Hempstead, New York. I'm just happy to be here. All right, well, um, so let's just, I guess, go down the uh, the list in the order they appear in the doc you guys are seeing here. On a lot of people's minds is uh, this mix of broccoli and Brussels sprouts genetically combined together. Some have questioned the idea of putting two of the worst and most hated foods together as one, but what, 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 do you, what does the panel have to say about that? If you want riots in Chicago, go ahead and approve that, because this entire city will be burned to the ground before we accept that monstrous, deplorable vegetable. It sounds uh, insane. The idea of a broccoli sprout is just... I mean, I knew a man in a high school named Broccoli, but I never thought he would eat a vegetable, so... I think you slice that up and you put it on a pizza. That sounds good. I, I say we approve it. That sounds good to me. My pizza better have about eight inches of crust and sauce. The feedback we've we've gotten over here on the West Coast is that people uh, people generally like the odd shape that it comes in, where it's a broccoli top and then two Brussels sprouts on the bottom that look a little bit like a dick in balls. Um, we've gotten some negative feedback, but on the West Coast, we've mostly gotten positive feedback. Uh, our surveys have said that people thought it was hella cool and uh, fucking tight. So on behalf of our region, I would have to say that we should approve it. 
um, thank you. Mm. And we do have uh, Professor Arnold Schlongheimer to thank for, of course, this wonderful new innovation in vegetable technology. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Dr. Schlongheimer. No, yeah, I'm happy to join us. I'm just like over here making crazy dick veggies. I don't think it's appropriate that he's here. Should he be here? This is a closed board meeting, sir. It's simple. I came over from, um, what would we say? The not-so-nice guys from Germany in the, not, let's say, 1940s. And the U.S. government picked me up because I'm very good at making some monster vegetables. And, of course, in my private time, I've worked with Taco Bell to help kill uh, as many people as possible. Anyway, bye. We need to make these private. Why did he tell us all of that? I'm still not okay eating something phallically shaped. I mean, I'm from Chicago. I want to eat something totally heterosexual like a kielbasa or several hot dogs without chewing. Well, our next item on the list here is that something that's a little bit more gender neutral and therefore, you know, might be palatable to everyone it's pig anuses. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you know, the Doritos Corporation has put in a proposal to launch a line of deep-fried pig anuses and uh, also taints, so... It's, that's it. That's, that's all we're talking about. I'm not going to lie. We will approve this with or without you. I'm very excited about this product. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't eating a fistful of them right now. Do we have do we have any to sample? Can I can I try some? I'll send some your way. But is it like a, is it like an actual hole like you can put on your fingers like a fungal? Oh, that's I fun. I think that sounds oh that sounds you know finger licking good. The basis of the design was from the funyun. So you know I'm naturally as we all know people love to put funyuns on each finger as rings and then bite them off. I just want to clarify that stands for fun onion. Yes. I've long held the belief that Funyuns look like pig anuses, so this is confirming a lot of things for me. It's like a pork rind and a Funyun. I am fine with approving this, but uh, I would like to request that we also speed up the approval process for the impossible pig anus. I I actually like to call them the fun possible uh, pig anuses. Uh, I think... I think they're going to be great for the market as well, if if we can put that on the docket as well. And just to clarify, that stands for fun and impossible pig anus. Yes, 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 absolutely. If it'll get me my fried pig anuses, I will approve the impossible anus. Well, um, we've only got really uh, one more product here to evaluate, and uh, it's a cosmetic, actually. It's a type of skin enhancer which pulls the skin on your face and scalp so tight that it makes your skin apparent so that everybody knows you have skin and are not just a skinless skeleton skull walking around. So this lets people see the contours of your skin because it's stretched super tight across your bones. And what's it made from? Uh, also pig anuses. Kind of a big year for the PA industry. Big anus wins again. You know, I would love it if my husband noticed more that I had skin. He never compliments my skin, you know? It's always about my titties, about my ass. He never says that my skin looks good, so I would love to, you know, approve this product and perhaps get a free sample. Oh, uh, well, uh, I'll just send you guys a little sample through the 3D printer here. Thank you. Okay. Now, I got to say, anything made of pig anus is edible. I mean, by definition, you can look that up. That's on the, the Google. And that's not, that's not just because you're deep in the pig anus lobby's pocket, right? That's your genu- genuine opinion. I would believe that even if 
uh, I was not getting a hand job from them right now. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. Well, anyway, yeah, pig anus is a great. Let's do it. And uh, before we, uh, you know, kind of wrap things up here, I just want to make sure everybody got that memo about the development of that new drug we're supposed to be testing out, which allows you to um, see through the fabric of space and time. Did everybody get that memo? And uh, I would have to check my email. I, I do have the email. I, I haven't been able to print it out because it seems like someone, um, I, have, I have made someone very angry. So my 3D printer has only been printing 3D middle fingers for the last uh, 30 minutes. It might be alive. It might be sentient. You might need to throw that thing out. The, the printer? This is a government-issued printer. You think it is sentient? Okay. I have not uh, taken this new experimental drug because it sounds fun, but I've mostly been experimenting with different kinds of soft cheeses. Well, I've taken it, and I'm on it right now, and let me tell you, it's not that great. Uh, Turns out it's just a lot of, like, dust within the fabrics of space and time. So, like, I don't know if it's actually working or if I'm just underwound by the whole thing. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, It's all right, you know. I haven't had any bad side effects yet, so I guess it's fine, but... Yeah, I mean, I would just rather go see a nice Dolby sound motion picture, you know? Like, I think that's just as good, but that's just me. That's actually what the memo was about, that if you, uh, the first iteration of the drug was actually a fluke, but the, new, the second iteration, that's the one that will allow you to, um, you know, split time and space and kind of look through oh, the, the okay. veil. So, I'm looking yeah. forward yeah. to that. All right. So I should ignore that email. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's it for uh, today, guys. So we'll catch up next Tuesday. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Cool. God bless. All right. Bye, Great. folks. Great. Thanks, guys. All right. Kill everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Midnight Public Radio. Today in our audio chop house, we're serving up a variety of courses that cover the entire palette, both of your tongue and palette that a painter uses to not only show us the world around him, but make it even more beautiful. Some courses, however, are bittersweet, something associated with kindness and calmness suddenly has a darker edge. To speak to that, we have a bittersweet recording of something that has become a treasured institution of peace, of calm, of tranquility, but the Great British Bake Off has a much darker origin story. The First World War saw nearly every aspect of life affected, and of course that included baking. Conceived by a 12-year-old Mary Berry during the war, the Great British Bake Off was to be a unifier for the British people during a time when they had taken horrible casualties. They knew there was still one thing they could do. Bake. Act 4. Over the Muffin Top. Greetings and welcome from the Western Front, on the front lines with the British Expeditionary Force. Here we are, Christmas Day, 1917. As the war drags on, we're bringing some brightness to our boys in the form of the first ever Great British Baking Competition. We've decided that these brave soldiers, stuck out here in the mud and blood fighting the Hun and the Bosch, which are the same thing, we've decided that they deserve a break. And not just a break, uh, some work to do. Because we need cake. 
Cake, 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 it's what the nation's crazed for. Due to the ongoing U-boat blockade, we haven't seen a single sugar cube in these aisles for nigh on three years. And I'm tired of one for flavoring my tea with molasses. But these boys are gonna show us the ingenuity that's brought the British Army to a grinding stalemate three years into this war. Up first, we've got Nigel Television Bottom. Tell us what you'll be making. Oi, hello there. Yeah, I'm going to be making a chip cake. It's a cake made out of, well, chips. Thank you for having me. Uh, chips of what? Uh, whatever chips we got around, you know, uh, the chips from the fish and chips dish, paint chips, uh, you know, chips from uh, another soldier's bones, uh, you know, a lot of different chips. Whatever we got, we're going to use, and we're going to make a delicious cake today, right? We're going to move on to someone from the artillery. This is Jonathan Benjamin, and he, uh, with the one good arm and leg he has left, is going to give it his best. Isn't that right? That's right. That's right. I'm here to make a pizza today. I uh, learned it from a bloke I know. It, it's made of cauliflower, so I don't really know how it's going to taste, but... You know, with the one arm and one leg, I think the the real test is gonna be, can I spin the dough? Wait, you guys have cauliflower here? That's so unfair. We don't have any cauliflower on the other side of the line. Oh, well, why don't you write a letter to your goddamn Kaiser about it? In lieu of a qualified French judge, seeing as this entire part of France has been killed, we have been forced to turn to the German prisoners of war that we've kept as the taste test in this first Great British Bake Off. Of course, that may account for the high amount of lead and poison and rocks being incorporated in the recipes, but I can't wait to make these stupid Bosch trial. Cauliflower Italian pizza. I'll have you know that back in the fatherland, I am a very distinguished German cuisine maker. Everyone knows my favorite Goschlag-Waschnag from miles and miles around my village. Well, that's a fun fact I'll be sure to tell your corpse later today. They say that there's a country across the water called America that's coming to save us, but as far as I'm concerned, that's a load of hot, steaming British turd water. Now, we begin the tasting of the first Great British Bake Off. While we wait, let's send a few men over the top to try to get, I don't know, 16 more feet of dirt that doesn't matter to anybody. Let's play the theme while we have the tasting. Yeah. The guy who I'm tied to is dead, so can I have his portion, please? Okay, yeah, the, that was pretty good, yeah. That, was that the chip cake? Uh, it looks, yes, it looks like these dirty, disgusting, subhuman people that we're arrayed against in this holy war have made their determination. The chip cake is the winner. Oh, yeah, oh my, yay! I, 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 I. First of all, I would like to thank the Queen and uh, my mother and uh, my father and uh, everyone else. Boy, this is bullshit. What? Watch your mouth. We're in a war here. I use cauliflower and only the finest dirt as cheese. Cauliflower won't even be recognized as a vegetable for the next hundred years. I mean, I get it. It's barely a vegetable. 
That's why I used it for the pizza. And I should put We're going to reveal something quite incredible. Now, you thanked... Oh, is it my prize? Yes. In addition to the stated prize, which is a one-day sleep on a bed... Ooh. Oh, wow. You also get to meet the most important person that you just thanked. Oh, my God. Am I going to meet... That's right. Her Majesty. It's the motherfucking Queen of England. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This me, the Queen of fucking England. Yeah. Give us a kiss! Give us a kiss! Come here! That's You're my prize? I get to kiss this Come old here. bag? I'm gonna be completely honest. She's the queen. This was not in the plan. She is the queen, so we d and she's holding a rifle. So we are gonna go ahead. Um, I'm gonna take away the key to that uh, chateau with the bed yeah. where you were going give to stay. Give, give instead, give uh, instead, here's the queen's hotel key. Oh, crikey. Sir, I'd just like to offer my sincere congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, I have a question. If this could also be the very first prank show where I'm being pranked and not maybe going to be thrown against the wall and shots, that would be great. Yeah, we could call it something like Das Punkt. Yeah, we could call it that or, or something. Once again, we appreciate your patronage here at Midnight Public Radio, your humble audio slop house slinging out delicious morsels for your ears. Don't forget to tip your waitstaff, and don't forget to investigate the Midnight Gardeners League, the mysterious yet benevolent society who creates and puts out this content. You can find them online at midnightgardenersleague.com, on Instagram, at midnightgardenerscomedy, and on Twitter, at 12amgardeners. Make sure you eat something, because if you don't, you'll die. I'm Ari Wood. And I'll be here until they kick me out, which it looks like they're about to do. Order up. Next chapter podcasts.